So um, I'm still talking about victorious living, and, 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 and victorious living is, can, can, the description of victorious living can, can go many ways. You know, we are more than conquerors in Christ, and it's, but, but what I want to, it's a present continuous tense statement to, to talk about victorious living. It's not that we have received, a, you know, what we have been given in, in Jesus, and, it, and it's a past tense, or it's just a, it's an information, it's a knowledge of what Jesus has given us. I'm talking about what does victory look like in your life today? Because Jesus wants to give us a victorious Christian life. And, and, and you know, if, if you've come out of, a, out of a background where there was a lot of, quote-unquote, spiritual warfare, and there was um, fighting the devil and, and, and so on, you may see victory as just having victory over, over the devil. And that is certainly part of it. We do have absolute victory over the devil, but that's, that's really not what I'm talking about. There's a lot of pieces on this pie that we've been building. And, and as, I've, as I've gone through the previous messages, I always encourage you to go back and listen to them multiple times because as the Spirit of God teaches us, I've seen this so clearly in my life, He is teaching and saying things to you that will meet you where you're at. And I, it's not me, all, I'm not all that in a bag of chips, but He will meet you where you're at. He has a word for you to take you another step forward and to experience the abundant life that He has for you. The ultimate goal, the pathway of God is to live in an abundant life, but, that's not, but, it, but there is an ultimate goal, of course, to be with Him and to, to see Him and what that goal looks like. But man, I tell you what, it is a life that we can go from step to step, glory to glory, uh, faith to faith, all of those things that are just progressive, amen? So when we, when we spoke about it, we, we always talk about the character of God, and I'm not going to do a big rehash over here. We spoke about what it is to fear the God and, and what the paradox of that looks like. So much truth in the Word of God, if you don't understand the paradox, you really haven't grasped the truth yet. And when I say that, if you've listened to me numerous times, there is an apparent contradiction sometimes. There is a tension, just like a camping tent pole is held up by two cords. There is an apparent contradiction sometimes that, that where, where truth is presented, like, just like we spoke about, the love of God, and what is it to fear the God? They are not two opposites. To, to understand the fear of God, the reverential awe and respect of God, and what it is to fear a God, and how it builds us, and, and how it gives us victory, and all of these things is what we spoke about in, in the, basically in the first three parts of this just and understanding that when you go to God, He is love and, and, and these, these elements. And then the last time I spoke, we spoke about, about His Word and, and delighting yourself in His Word and how important it is to, to, to develop and allow the Spirit of God to develop a passion for His Word. Because Jesus is the actual Logos. He is the written Word of God, certainly, well, is there is. The Logos is more than just the written word of God. It is, it is, the, it is the, the logic of who is it. It's his character. It's his nature. It's the whole of who God is is encapsulated in who Jesus is. And as John said in John chapter 1, he says, In the beginning there was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He created everything. Jesus he put this all together. And so understanding that the written word of God and, and the whole counsel of God that we've, we read about from Genesis to Revelation presents a consistent image of God that, that, that I want you to grow established in. You should not have to have confusion in your life 
about who God is and how He's going to act. In fact, the more and closer you know God and the know how God's act, and He will, the more you rest and you know what He's going to do. There is no, there's no ifs, ands, maybes about it because you know Him. You know that Karen, as at, we've been we've been married twenty years, twenty just well, twenty two years almost. In the 22 years that we've been married, Karen can finish my stories and I can finish hers. Right? Yep. And we've just known each other 20-something years. It's the same as, as you get to know God, as you get to know Him, as you get to know His character of the Word. He is 100% faithful to who He is. And when you know Him, there's no... There's no question. You know what he's going to do. You, he can finish, you can finish his sentence. You know how he acts, when he acts, what he's done, what he hasn't done, what he can do, what he will do. Because you know him. And the only way we can know him is through his word. If you, don't, if you don't allow the Word of God, and I'm not talking about a religious reading of the Word of God. I'm not talking about making a, a list of, oh, better read the Bible in a year. I'm sort of torn between that one, I must be honest. Because, yes, it's great to have read the Bible. It's awesome. You should read the Bible. I love it. So don't take this out of context for what I'm saying. You should know the Bible. You should read the Bible. You should be able to find books in the Bible. If you a disciple of Jesus and P.S. or I.E., whatever. It's not P.S. Whatever. That is what being a disciple is. This church is for disciples. And if you're not a disciple of Jesus yet, welcome here. You, everybody is welcome, but a church really is for disciples. But a disciple is getting to know him and to, and, to, and to proceed. It's more than just being a student, as you've heard me say. So I mean, it's no more than just wanting to know what he knows. It's wanting to live like he lives. You want to, you want to be and experience everything that Jesus is. That's what being a disciple of Jesus is. And you know, this is what Jesus designed the actual plan it wasn't just to get people saved. We have a culture today in the body of Christ at large that thinks that if I can just sign on the dotted line, say the magic prayer, whatever it is, give money to the church or whatever it is, so I can get through the pearly gates one day. That is not the goal. It's never been the goal. There isn't a, well, there isn't a St. Peter at the pearly gates with a list waiting to whether you're going to come in or not. That's not the goal. It's sad that you can ask a lot of churchgoers today if they're going to go, if they know for a certain if they're going to go to heaven, and you know what their answer will be? I don't know. May I sure hope so. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. If, if, if that's where you're living, then you've not heard the gospel. I mean, you've not heard the true gospel of what Jesus has done, that he's, oh, happy day, washed our sins away. And, and, and how there is no more sin and what God has done for us. But, but being a disciple is what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. And, and, and you know, I'm a, I've worked with evangelists. I love evangelists. I, I will go with evangelists anytime because it starts right there. Preaching the good news of the kingdom, going into all the world. All of those parts are where salvation starts when you get to know Jesus. But you and I are called to be disciples. Amen. That's where we are. And, and it's a disciple. Uh, Jesus said, he said, 
disciples are those who are in his word, who abide in his word. That's what we were talking about. John, John 8, 30, 31, 32. My, my, my disciples are them that abide in my word. And then you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. You see, it's not just some random Socrates or uh, Fat or Archimedes whose eureka moments or whatever the case is. That's not truth. Those are facts, it, it, but it's not any one of those, those experiences out there that is truth. It is Him knowing His truth when you are abiding in His Word. And abiding in His Word is doing just that. It's settling down. It's making yourself. It's, making, it's living your life. It's great, gaining a perspective and renewing your mind according to the truth of the way that God sees it. Yes. So important to understand the difference. It's not about religious reading the Bible. You understand this thing about truth. Know the truth and truth will set you free. Truth is actually God's reality or reality, if you will, true reality as God sees it and knows it to be. You and I all live in a perception of reality. We all live in an opinion of a reality. We all have our traditions. Hence, that's why if we, if we live in our opinions and we live in our traditions, then that doesn't set us free. Can't. Because it's not truth. There is only one truth with a capital T, and his name is Jesus, who said, I am the way, I, the Logos, am the truth. And I am the life. You want to experience light, life, truth, you're going to have to understand truth in its entirety. I mean, as a wholeness. You can't, we can't pick and choose and say, I believe this, I did this. You know what I'm saying? So there's an element of just of allowing ourselves to abide in the Word of God, to soak in the Word of God, to be teachable in the Word of God. You hear me say that so, so, so often, but it's, it's hugely important. Truth, truth sets, sets, sets us free. In any case, so we spoke about the Word and, and why and this, this piece of, of, of how the Son of Man, Jesus, came to show us the truth and live the truth and, and all of these things. So I want to carry on today. And I'm going, to, I'm going to start here in, in Hebrews um, chapter 12. I'm, I'm reading out of this, the English Standard Version. Hebrews chapter 12, just verse 1 and 2. Um, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Man, there's a lot there, right? He's the founder or he's the author and the finisher of our faith. But, it's, but here we know, we, we, we know these terms. Well, let's just look to Jesus. Let's look unto Jesus. Let's not look to the storms, etc. But it says we're surrounded by this great crowd, cloud of witnesses. I use this so often in funerals because it's a reality. Those who have gone on before us are present. They are with the Lord. They are part of a cloud of witnesses. This is coming out of Hebrews chapter 11. We're just talking about the heroes of faith. All of them, Samson, it's talking about Moses, it's talking about all these people that have done fantastic things in God. And then it says, therefore being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. This crowd of witnesses clouding around us see and they're cheering us on, right? So then it says, let's lay aside every weight and the sin which, so, so, uh, which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that set, sets before us. This is, a, this is, I believe, is a big key. There is a race before us. And if we do not live kingdom priority lives, then we just live human lives. We live the American dream life. 
But disciples understand, no, 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 there's a greater life to live than just the American dream. You see, the American dream, if you take Jesus' truth and you take it out of America and you put it in China or you put it in Indonesia or you put it anywhere in the world, it would be the same because it's truth. Truth is not cultural. You and I are cultural. Truth is a-cultural. God's truth is for all humans. And so you can't, if you've, if you've equated kingdom living with the American dream, then you've got to be careful. Because I'm not saying that the blessings of God, we are called to, 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 to live and enjoy blessings for a purpose. But that is not God's purpose. We've got to be careful over here, right? So I just want to, I just want to put this in there. Because as we live kingdom priority lives, it says that, that there is a race that is set before us. And, and we are to run with endurance. Why even endurance? Because it's going to take some. And we're encouraged to. And guess what? You have it. Otherwise, we wouldn't be encouraged to. God will never say, give us anything and, and encourage us in any way if we can't do it. You and I can run with endurance, the race that is before us. And then he says this, he talks about, he says these things, which is kind of interesting. I always used to think, oh, well, the sin that so, so closely besets us or clings to us, it sticks to us. Sin is sticky. And we have to talk about sin. So I know it always gets quiet when we talk about sin. But listen, chillax, Jesus has paid the price for our sin, okay? Okay, so let's clear this out. Jesus has taken the full punishment that brought us peace, okay? And we'll get to that, hopefully. But, but it is so important to understand, sin is still around, and sin is really sticky. It clings. It sticks to you. Have you ever had something that, have you ever watched a cat with a piece of tape or whatever it is? You know, something that you just can't, there, there is stuff that is sticky, and, and you all, don't look at me so self-righteously, like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's like, it's like. Sin is sticky, and we've got to understand sin. We've got to understand what it is and why it is, what what happens, and how we can deal with it. If you and I want to have victory in life, we've got to identify sin, and we've got to be able to, and we can. What we're talking about this week and probably next week is that we can we can deal with sin. We can deal with sin, and it's a lot easier than you and I think. Because I can tell you, the experience of most Christians, and it's sad to say, most Christians have the same sins they had before they got saved. Some Christians battle with the same sins they've had soon after they've got saved. I talk to people. I'm a real person too, just so you know. There is, but you see, sin, you've got to understand, sin isn't, why, we don't, one, let's just clear this out of the way. One, why do we talk about sin? We don't try and get out of sin, one, to be loved of God. That is not the point. You were loved by God long before, you've always been loved by God, and so is every sinner in the world being loved by God. God loves his enemies. Romans 5 verse 8 says that while we were still sinners, that he gave his life for us. God has never not loved anybody because he is love. You've hung out around this, you're going to hear it. He is love. He is love. God is love. He is agape. 
That personification comes in 1 John 4 twice. He is love. Love isn't something he gets up and does. He doesn't decide to act in love. Oh, I think I'll show them a bit of love. No, he is love. Okay. But so you never, number one, try and get out to be loved by God. And I listen, that's a big religious choke ball. Because I used to grow up thinking that if I did not live perfectly, I was not loved by God. And that also meant I got saved every week or every time I went into church because I was told that if, you, if I really made a real commitment, then I wouldn't sin. And I wondered why I broke the speed limit or did something. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have to get saved because if I died now, I'm going straight to hell. Do not pass again. You know? And, and I, I literally thought that because I had no understanding of the gospel. I had no understanding of faith righteousness. By the way, if you ever want to do a great study on the study of faith righteousness, you need to get Jim Rich's book. Um, we don't have our stand out there, but I'm sure it'll get put out that it's, it's the gospel of peace. It's a great study, and, and I tell you, my little religious mind took me a few years to, to chew my way through that book, As you go into, and because Jim just does a great job of taking you to Scripture and leading, and if you let God be a teacher, and you let the Holy Spirit be your teacher, and you go and seek it out, but, but understanding that, lo- that we don't get rid of sin to be loved by God. In fact, the good news is that even if you're in sin, you are loved by God. Just like that woman caught in the act of adultery. Just like that woman who poured perfume. We did this in the first, I think it was in the very first one. The woman that was that poured the perfume on, she was loved. She knew she was loved by God. And she responded out of love. You see, we don't try and earn, we do not have to try and earn love to, be, um, uh, to, to earn the love of God um, by trying to stay out of sin. It's not to try, so, and, and, and likewise, we don't try and, we're not trying to be holy or righteous or earn a righteousness with our actions. We cannot. Righteousness is a state of being. Righteousness is an identity that we step into. Jesus exchanged righteousness, and we'll, we'll touch on that. We, we, I'm not righteous in my, whether I've sinned or not, I'm only righteous because I was given a righteousness when I step into Him. When I choose to believe Him and I step into Him. Am I, can I enjoy that righteousness? And I tell you, one of the fights of faith is when you do sin and fall, though a righteous man falls seven times, when you do fall and you do slip and you do make a mistake, to believe that you are righteous. To say, I am the righteousness of God. Because you say, oh, but, uh, but you can't say that. Yes, you can. And in fact, you must if you want victory, which we'll get into that. We don't, we, don't try and get, we don't try and stop sinning to earn the promises of God. That's another one. If you think that, that you can earn the promises of God by stopping to sin, you're wrong. You've earned the promises of God. In fact, you didn't ever earn them. Jesus earned them, and we benefit by them in Him. So we're not trying to get loved by God. We're not trying to get righteous or holy. And we certainly, all of these things, we certainly not, not any of them are we going to do. We're not going to try and earn any promises or gifts or anything. Well, I don't know, you know, I really need this and I don't know because I've done that. And, and we, we disqualify ourselves from being able to believe that God has them because we look at the failures and the faults in our lives. Again, 
Communion, when we understand the communion and what Jesus is trying to drum into us through communion, that his body and his covenant, his new covenant is so powerful that that is mine, that I'm, I am not just forgiven of my sins, I am made righteous. I have his righteousness. There's a big difference. God didn't just tap me with a magic wand and said, okay, you're righteous. And then walk away. No, 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 no. I, I have and wear and exist in the very righteousness of, of God. That is, a, that is something that takes away a time for you to settle in your heart. Do you know that when God sees you, he sees the righteous robe of Jesus over you? Now that takes faith to believe, people. Because that's what the Word of God teaches. And when you abide in the Word of God and settle that the truth of the Word of God is the truth, that you aren't going to believe traditions or religious traditions or whatever you've grown up with, and you're going to lay hold of the truth of God's Word, then that persuasion will come into your heart, and it does a whole bunch of wonderful things. The very first thing when your heart is persuaded of righteousness is it does this. Peace brings peace. Why? Because no longer can it ever depend on you to earn peace with God. No longer. In fact, let's look at Romans chapter 5. Uh, Romans chapter 5 is such a powerful, powerful book. And if you have your Bibles, in fact, try and bring your Bibles, whether it's a phone or a Bible, paper Bible, whatever you like. But I want to encourage you, you know, Bring your Bibles. But oh, let me let me say this before I get before I get into Romans 5. Understand this about sin as well. Sin is simply self-destructive. Next time you want to you want to create an image, think of something excruciatingly painful. Do you know that you let me just say this a precursor to this. Do you know that God designed you to live in pleasure? <laughs> it gets so quiet. God designed you to live in pleasure. How do I know that? Look at the garden before the fall. How much pain was there? None. There was no sickness, no disease, no pain, no discomfort, everything was provided for. There wasn't toil or hardship, effort, and they fellowshiped with God. They fellowshiped with one another. Adam and Eve hung out, named animals and you name it. Dot, dot, dot. I don't know. What else did they do? But it was, it was, it was that was the garden. That was God's, listen, that was God's plan. That's important to realize. If you want to understand what the desire of God is, you've got to look at the garden and then also look at heaven because the way it's going to return is going to be even better than that. But you see the heartbeat of God. But sin comes in and sin is self-destructive. Pain, we, we, we as human beings are either motivated, mostly are motivated by pain and pleasure. In other words, Pain, we, we don't want to experience pain, so anything we associate with pain, we will avoid. 
And everything we associate with pleasure, we will head towards. We will gravitate towards. That's a powerful, powerful truth. Because you see, if you realize that sin is self-destructive and you can associate sin with pain instead of sin with pleasure, you will find a big secret to overcoming things in your life. You see, we have made this thing in life, even in so many churches, that sin is pleasure. And sin is the pleasure that God doesn't want me to enjoy. Really? The big mean ogre God is going to give us a whole bunch of mean stuff to do, things we absolutely hate, and because He is that kind of God... No, 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 no. He wants you to have abundant life. He wants you to live and dwell in victory. He wants you to have these things. But you see, we've associated sin with pleasure. Eve did that right in the very, very, very first sin, and we've done the same since. We think that sin is pleasure. And if you go and look at any sin in your life, things that you are being deceived by or led astray or things that you want to do, James says, you're tempted by your own lusts, your own desires. Not God. Face the music, people. And I'm not talking about old sinners. I'm talking about every one of us. We are led astray by our own desires. I don't like the way in where they use the word lust because it lust puts it like, oh, it's got to be an evil desire. No, it just talks about whenever, the, go and look at it. It's just the word desire, strong desires. That is just that you, if you, if you associate the, your desire and you see something that's, 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 what Jesus has labeled, or God has labeled sin, it's always very simply something that is going to bring you destruction or your loved ones around you destruction or just generally people around you destruction. Always. Always. Self-gratification is probably tantamount, well, there's so much you can talk about in self-gratification, but it's really the, it's really the preeminent opposite of, of love. Because love, as you see, God's kind of love, agape love, I'm not talking about any one of the other loves. The God kind of love is a love that gives. And anything else is self-gratification. We as humans just want to give. And, I, and I, when I hear it on TV and I hear it in politics and I hear it wherever, it's like, but I say, this is my rights and I want and I like this and I don't like this and I, there's a lot of eyes there. Eyes and me and I want and my rights. Where God is like, if you are filled with the love of God, suddenly you don't care so much about yourself. Suddenly you care more about other people. Suddenly you start doing more for other people. That's just the natural, that's going to be the natural reaction of living with Jesus, of abiding in the Word. You're going to be so loved by Jesus, just like that woman who poured all that expensive perfume on his, on his feet that had been a sinner in Simon's mind that we spoke about. She, she would have gone away just living that beautiful life, experiencing the love of God. Her sins are forgiven. You're going to love other people because you are loved. Again, I'm going to touch on the sin thing because sin, if again you associate sin with pleasure, you will naturally keep gravitating towards it like a moth to a flame. So, so an exercise that you have to do Whenever you, we, and we can, get to, we can unpack this in, in a, in a, practically in a, in, a, in, a, in a future message sometime, 
But you practically have to use your imagination and the power of associating pain with what you're doing. Actually, so you've got to be honest with yourself. Imagine that, honesty. That's what it is. It's being honest with yourself. Am I going to, do I dare be honest with myself? Listen, God knows our thoughts. Do you think he's condemning you? No, he's not going to condemn you. We've spoken about that because he is love. But when you see it, when you see it, hold on a second, what is this doing? You know, if you imagine a nice big steel anvil and you took a 20-pound hammer and you put your hand over there and you swung it as hard as you can towards your hand, you would soon associate pain with that action, right? So imagine you say, oh, this is my favorite sin. I like doing it. Because that's what you're doing to yourself. God has only labeled the things sin that, that are destructive, that bring hurt, that bring pain, that bring destruction. That is what God has called sin. He's not the big fun spoiler. There is God. In fact, God is designed... God has designed us to live in a pleasure that every one of it, that in His hands, His right hands are pleasures forevermore. Heaven is about pleasure. Not, not, they'll be, every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more grief, no more crying, no more pain. That's how God wants us to live, and that's how we can live. Jesus I'll touch on this. I'm going to have to close here, and I won't even be able to get to Romans 5. We'll start Romans 5 next time. But Jesus, but Jesus made it that way. He was, Jesus, remember, he is the son of man. He emptied himself. He did everything as a man. This is important, 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 important. I can choke a bunch of religious people by making this statement. Jesus was tempted. Which means... FYI, he was 100% man. Otherwise, you couldn't be tempted. Your flesh, temptation. <gasps> but you're saying that Jesus is not... No, 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 no. Don't throw the baby out of the bathwater. There's a paradox, and you have to understand the paradox. He did empty himself of his divinity. He did, according to Philippians 2, if you want to go and study it at length, what he did and emptied himself. But he is... The Son of Man. He emptied. He didn't do any single victory on earth as God. He overcame every sin as man. Do you know that he did not want to go to the cross, right? Do you remember that piece? That looked a little scary. Uh, is there any other way? Can we, can we maybe do this any other way? They were... Really? But who for the joy set before him, for the joy of us, and for the joy of life, and for the joy of love, he knew he would suck it up. Didn't want to. He's not, nobody enjoys pain and pleasure. But he had a body. He had a body that was tempted. And in fact, when you start studying this in Hebrews and you see he was a man tempted, that's why he can be a high priest. That's why he can be our high priest. Because he was, listen to this, tempted as we are. There is not one single temptation that you have ever experienced that Jesus hasn't been or felt. 
That sounds sacrilegious, Shannon. You need to smoke that. I mean, sorry. You need to, (laughs) sorry. Think on that. Put that in your religious thinking pipe and dwell on that. I'm not telling you to go and smoke, people. Sorry. (laughs) No, but seriously, think about that. Consider it. Meditate. Chew. You, You cannot take a truth and make it yours without meditation. I, I mean, we're unpacking some core things here today. We're starting, I've laid a foundation and I can't even get into my message today just about, because these are things that we just have to understand. But I'm telling you, they're key. If you want to have a victorious Christian life, let's lay hold of some of these things, amen? And we can, and we will, and we can have an awesome, abundant life because that's what God designed us to live while we are here. While we are here. While we are here. Man, there's so many beautiful scriptures that come to mind. I, I mean, I, I, I'm just so tempted to rush off and I could, <laughs> I could literally keep you here all day. But it's, no, I, I tell you what, there, there is so much that God has for us. And, and we'll, we'll continue unplugging, un, unpacking this because God has designed to help us. Think this word, help. You are designed to, and I'm not just talking about the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Yes, I am talking about Him, but it's more than how do we lay hold of it. There's a big key. The pain, pleasure thing that I've spoken about today is just a start. But there's other things that we can overcome sin. Remember, I've spoken about it. I would, if, you know, before the next time, listen to it again. Sin is not to earn, be earned, is not to earn God's love. It's not to earn his pleasure. It's not to earn righteousness. Those are religious ideas that I certainly was captivated by. But if you, most people who are in any type of grace church, this is the big issue that we have in grace churches, is that people think, oh, well, we're in grace, so, you know, never mind about sin. Sin, guys, sin has got no problem. Big mistake. You have literally listened to half of the gospel and decided to throw the rest away. And you're in danger because sin will destroy your life. It will destroy the love. And listen, even if you think it's not going to touch you because you are so self-deceived in your sin that you think that you can live above it and you can get scot-free with it, when you can't, nobody can, not any one of us can. But if you, sin is deceitful above all things. If you get to that place where you think you can get by with it and keep getting by with it, Keep getting by with it, you're deceiving yourself. And listen, if you think it's going to, like I said, if it's going to, you think you can get by with it, think about your children. Think about the people you, lo- you say you love around you. Nobody, nobody, not one of us decides that we're going to wake up and have an adulterous affair. Not one of us think, oh, we're going to go and blow up my ministry and I'm going to do things. These, I totally understand. These guys that have fallen, I have compassion and I understand. But I tell you what, nobody does it overnight. It happens because we allow and we toy and we play with sin and we make excuses because we want, we think that we try and live as close to sin as we possibly can. Give me the line, Shannon. I, just give me the line so I can, just, oh, I can just feel the pleasure but not really legally like step over into it. Because we have that idea that there's pleasure there. 
And that's the problem. You're deceived already. There is no pleasure there. There's pain there. There's pain there. Pain to you, pain to your loved ones, pain to people around you. Make that association. We'll talk more about this. Amen. Father, we thank you for your power, the power of your word, the power of your truth. We thank you that truth sets us free. And Father, I thank you. I speak to hearts that are willing to, even now, they've heard truth that has just resonated. And, and, I, and I command freedom. There's some of you that have, that have sat with, a, with something that's stuck in your life. And I want you right now, if, that's, if there's a big, heavy encumbrance on you, Hebrews 12 says that. Hebrews 12 says that, that it says, let us, let us leave these things that, 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 that stop us from running this race. And the sin, it says, let's, let's, let's lay aside every weight. That word weight is encumbrance. And the sin. There's encumbrances. You know what an encumbrance is. And, and, and when I looked up that word, it's a protrusion. It's, it's like carrying a, a medicine ball on your foot. You can't run a race with a medicine ball, a 20-pound medicine ball tied to your foot. It's an encumbrance. It's a protrusion. It might not even be a sin. I want you to hear that. I want you to hear that. It might not even be a sin. But you know what I'm talking about because the Holy Spirit is doing that in your heart, not me. But if you have an encumbrance in your life and you're ready to let it go right now, if you're willing to see the pain that it causes, then just say, Lord, be honest. Lord, you know, you and me know this thing, brought it up to you a hundred times or a thousand times or a million times. Or, or maybe you know that something is amiss, but you know that it's not completely honest between you and God. And you can say, you know what, Lord, I might not be willing to look at this thing right now. In fact, I'm not, but make me willing. I'm willing for you to make me willing. If that's where you are today, that's fine. I can't tell you how many times I've been there. There's a race for you, brother and sister. You are loved more than you know. I want you to know that your Father loves you and that His arms are open wide for you. He is not resisting you. He is not even paying attention to that sin. I want you to hear me, but that sin is hurting you. That encumbrance, that weight is slowing you down. That, that sin can kill you and it can hurt somebody else. And that's the reason we make a choice. How are we going to work with this? Work with this. Are we going to use the tools that He's given us? the truth that he has given us that will bring freedom. So Jesus, we receive that. We receive you, Holy Spirit. We thank you that even now, see that sin or that encumbrance. Just lay it at Jesus' feet. Just see his love. See the marks on his body. Know that he would say this to you. I've taken the punishment for that sin. I bore the punishment for that sin on my body. And still, you have a new covenant with me 
in my blood. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that truth. Thank you for your righteousness. Thank you for your salvation. We worship you, Father. Amen. Amen. If you this morning have not received Jesus or you walked in here with a friend or whatever and you have not even received Jesus yet as your Lord and Savior, please don't go home without speaking to one of our prayer ministers here. All you need to do is with your heart, I'm telling you, you just call out to Jesus. It's not a magical prayer, but Jesus will save those who call out to him. He will meet you where you're at. And if you do not know Jesus, if you're watching this online, and you need, you can, you're welcome to call our prayer line. But, but I, I tell you what, just calling on the name of the Lord and then coming and talking to one of our prayer ministers afterwards here, we can help you start that journey of this intimate, passionate love relationship that God has with you. Amen. And if you're, as you know, other brothers and sisters who are normally here and that, who if you don't, if you need prayer for anything, we have really awesome prayer ministers who know how to love and love on you and they know how to keep things, uh, thank you, confidential um, and they will absolutely know how to minister to you in love. Amen. Amen.